scripture today is from Colossians 12 and 13. At the 8 o'clock service, they got to hear from Philippians first. You only get Colossians. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves in compassion, in, with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When we were setting up our, our preaching schedule, we were talking about who was going to preach which sermon and which sermon I was going to be preaching twice, one at our master's and one here at Alpine. And somehow it came out that I was going to preach the sermon twice on fighting and marital discord. And when I told Eric, he just cracked up. He thought it was like the perfect pairing. So Eric and I met in high school. Um, I was 16, he was 17, and um, we got engaged at 18. Now, we came from very different styles of families when um, discord happened. In my family, we were pure aggression. When you wanted to fight, you fought. And you fought loudly and intensely. And the person that yelled the loudest was the one that won the argument. I was really good at arguing. Eric's family was the complete opposite. His family was very passive-aggressive, which meant that you got cold and you got quiet, and the person that froze you out the longest is the person that won. So these two people eventually got engaged at the age of 18. And during one of our fights during our engagement, I yelled so loud and so long that I actually hyperventilated and passed out. Needless to say, our circle of friends, which were also our wedding party, had a betting pool on how long our marriage was going to last. Nobody picked over two years. I'm happy to say that all of them lost. We've now been married for 32 years. They're still a little surprised, but we've made it work. Eric has learned how to yell. Surprised me the first time. I've learned a little bit how to be passive-aggressive. He's not so happy about that. We've learned how to talk to each other. My oldest daughter, who got married here in this sanctuary on May the 4th, you might have heard about the big Star Wars wedding. We were all in costume. She got here, married on May the 4th, the Star Wars day. May the 4th be with you. Uh-huh. They've been married now for about five months, and all couples, as all couples do in their first year of marriage, they are finding out it is not a perfect state of being. And so they have been arguing. 
And at one point, my daughter and my son-in-law, John, were arguing in the car, and John turned to Erica and said, why do you argue so much your parents never do? So Erica, as she was laughing hysterically, actually called my other daughter, Jamie, and told her, Jamie laughing, then brought me into the conversation on the phone, and both of them busted out laughing. John didn't find it as funny as they did. Arguing is a part of being in a relationship, any relationship. When we see couples for premarital counseling, Scott and I and Jane, we always ask the question, how do you handle arguments? And the one answer that all of us worry about is when we get these couples that are so in love that they say, oh, we never argue. We agree on everything. (laughs) And then we say, okay, who's giving in? Because you know, somebody's giving in. Because you can't agree on everything, we are different people. And you have to figure out how you are going to work together as a couple to make life livable. And that doesn't only happen in marriages. It happens in all covenant relationships. Because God doesn't just work on married people. That's not the only place that we see God in our lives. We see God in marriages. We see God in covenant relationships of long-term relationships where God brings people together because they're supposed to be together. We see God in those long-term friendships where you have been brought together by God and you've been friends for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 35, 40, and on years. And these friendships have held through sickness and health, through good times and bad, through all of the ups and downs. Now, you might not be in the same state you are. Maybe you're not anywhere near you are. But you know, if you call that person in the dead of night, that person is going to pick up the phone. You know if you need somebody to cry on their shoulder, that is the person you're going to call. You know if you need a friend, that person is going to go over. Now, how I know that that works in my life is we're nowhere near our group of friends in Wheeling that we call the group. It's that group of friends that I have no doubt in my my mind at all that God brought this group of friends together and that we are in a covenant group. By 11 o'clock at night, I get a call from Erica. She's hysterical. There's a gas leak in a house. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? Eric rolls over, and he calls Mark. Wakes him up from a dead sleep. Mark drives over to our house, takes care of it, calls Eric back to make sure that Eric isn't frantic anymore. That's the type of friend I'm talking about. Who here, raise your hand, has at least one friend like that? That's what I thought. That is a covenant relationship. That's also a relationship, I bet, You've had some disharmony in at a time or two, and you've had to learn how to talk to each other through that. There's also another covenant relationship that maybe you haven't thought of as a covenant relationship, 
But I want you to look at each other right now. The aisle is not a wall. Look across the aisle at your brothers and sisters in Christ. Look around this room. Remember when you take those vows, when you become a new member in the church? And when, remember when you have a baptism or you remember your baptism and you all take those vows in that covenant saying that you are going to uphold each other and you are going to strengthen each other and you're going to be there for each other in good times and bad. You are all in a covenant relationship. You are all brought together by God because nothing happens without God being there and God has chosen all of you to be here in this congregation with each other. Now, does that mean that you are not going to have differences? No. It means you are going to have differences. It means you're going to have different opinions on things. If you look at the presidential election right now, you know everywhere there's different opinions on things. You can't walk out your door without finding people that have different opinions on things. But this is a place that you come knowing that you're going to be welcomed, you're going to be loved. People are going to be happy to see you. And if you have a difference of opinion, you're going to be forgiven. Because the church is where you go to be forgiven. Now, Adam Hamilton did an amazing chart. He did this survey that I know Jane and Scott have talked to you about. He did this survey about all the people in church. And I got to say, I'm going to say this now because it's funny. In the survey that Adam Hamilton made of all the people in his church, over 3,000 people, he found in that survey, Scott, you will find this amazing, he found in that survey that the happiest people in the survey were people going to church. Come on! We're in a time that every time you turn on the news right now, they're talking about skewed and biased surveys. I'm like, really, Adam? Come on! But I truly believe that part of that is true. Because if you're coming to church every Sunday, you are finding a group of people that are in a covenant relationship with you, that are happy to see you, because they chose to be in a relationship with you. Just like your partner, your, um, your husband, your wife, your romantic partner, all chose to be in a relationship with you. We're walking that same path. Now, Adam Hamilton also showed through that survey that there are certain parts, certain times in our lives when we are more angry than other times in our lives. And he shows that during our 20s, our 30s, and our 40s, we are more angry. And he tells us that's because we are raising children. <laughs> That's what makes us more angry. It's not only the children part, but it is the money part. It is the fact, the very number one thing that husbands and wives argue about is money. What do you think the number one thing that is argued about in a church? Anybody want to throw it out there? What's the number one thing? Money, of course it is. 
we get into a room together and we can honestly say, does Jesus love us? And everybody goes, yes! Do we love each other? We say, yes! How do you want to do the finances? Whoa! It's money. And this is where Adam Hamilton says, when you get to those points, when you get to that point of money, this is where you have to clothe each other. We have to bear with each other. And we have to forgive each other. This is where we have to look at the other person and we have to see that there is another person trying very hard to make right decisions. And we might not agree with them. We might never agree with them. We always hear that we have to find that middle road, that we will find that compromise. You know what? Not always. We don't always find that compromise. And that's what Paul's telling you, is that sometimes there's not a compromise to be found, and that's where forgiveness comes in. That sometimes you are not going to win the argument. I hate those days. But sometimes you're not going to win the argument. And you know what? Sometimes you shouldn't have won the argument. You were wrong. And at that time, you have a choice. You can keep that anger or you can let it go. Because you know that if you keep that anger, it's going to fester. And if you keep that anger, you're not only going to hurt yourself, you're going to hurt your partner, and then other people are going to get hurt. How many times do we bring anger into our lives because we're angry at somebody else? I call it going sideways. You're on the road and somebody's irritating you that you're driving behind and you get that road rage. I've told everybody I don't have a fish on the back of my car because I don't want anybody to know I'm a pastor. So you're on that road and you're getting that road rage and oh, you can't do anything about it. But you get in the house and your spouse does something, Eric says something that's mildly irritating and I just unleash on him because he's my safe place. So I can let all of my anger out on him. Or you're at work and it's a horrible day and your boss is the stupidest human being in the world but you have to listen to him because he's your boss and you just have to take it. You have to hold it in and then you come home and your spouse says, how was your day? And you just, and they get it. That's going sideways. Now as, as a spouse that sometimes gets it, but as a spouse that sometimes gives it, wouldn't it be nicer if you knew that you were feeling that and instead you came home and you said, I am so angry. I am just feeling this anger let me tell you about it and then unleash but at least the person that you were talking about had a clue what you were really angry about because we all get angry but your spouse or your partner or your friend whoever it is you're unleashing out needs to know what you're truly angry about and you don't need to hit them with anger that they don't deserve. Or because Eric did not put his socks 
in the hamper again. He doesn't need to hear that there was a truck going 10 miles an hour under the speed limit and I couldn't get him around. He doesn't need all that frustration brought out to him when I could have easily said, I am so angry at this truck. Let me tell you about it. Instead of hitting him with that anger. Sometimes you need to be the person to be bear with a person. If your spouse actually comes in or your friend comes in, and we do this so much better with friends, don't we? I can call my friend Karen and say, and poor Eric's getting hit bad. But I can call my friend Eric, Karen and say, Eric is making me crazy, and I can be angry, and I will tell her exactly what's wrong. But Eric comes home, and I'm just like, eh, you know? How often do we do that to the person that's closest to us? We don't lay out the plan. We don't lay out what we're doing. We don't lay out where our emotions are. And this is what Paul's telling us to do. Bear with. Find out what's going on. When somebody's yelling at you, instead of hitting them back with that anger, say, honey, what's going on? Where are you? Why are you angry? Spend some time actually going there instead of reacting right the way back. We're in a really angry time right now. I understand that according to polls, Believe it or not, this presidential election is affecting marriages. It's affecting families. I know. It's affecting families. It's affecting workplaces. And it can be affecting churches. People are taking their stands and digging in. This isn't a time to let something like that interfere with your most private relationships. This is a time that we need to look at each other with love. This is a time that we need to look at each other through the eyes of God who loves us even when he doesn't agree with anything we're doing. This is a time that we have to actually use that grace and think, okay, God loves me when I make mistakes. God loves me when he doesn't even agree with what I'm doing. And maybe I need to give that grace to somebody I love or somebody that I'm working with or somebody that I'm in a friend relationship and I love in that response, in that way. Because that makes the world a better place. There is a rule called the five-to-one rule. For every negative thing you say to a person, every negative thing you say to a person, it takes at least five positive things to start to undo the damage. So when you come home and you say a negative thing, a hurtful thing, the person that you're talking to will take that in and they won't even begin to hear a positive thing until you've said five good things to them. So, when somebody comes to church and you see them, say positive things. When you're seeing somebody in the grocery store, say 
positive things. When that person gets too close to your car and you get out, say positive things. Who knew that doing God's work in this world, changing someone from feeling bad to feeling good, might be the simple work of giving positive affirmations to a world that is reeling from the pain of negative. Because we hear the negative all the time, don't we? We not only hear the negative from people that we love and respect, employers, people on the street, we hear the negative from ourselves when we look in the mirror. We're always too tall, we're too short, we're so too wide, we're too thin, we're too light, we're too dark, we've got gray hair. I mean, there's enough. Those negatives are out there. But with the five to one rule, by the time you get to work, if you have somebody flip you off in the traffic or yell at you, or if your spouse has said something, or God forbid you're raising teenagers, the negatives, oh God, the negatives. The number that you need of positives in your life to counteract those negatives could be in the tens or even in the hundreds by the end of the week. So what you could be doing as the gift from God, you could be spreading positive. You could be banking those positives in the world. You could be saying, I know that there's going to be negatives out there, and I know that this person just dinged my car. But you could be giving them a positive in response. Think gifts you're doing. We're talking about this love to stay, and we're talking about it in relationships and how to build up the relationships. And one of the relationships we have to remember is the most important is God's relationship with us in this world. And that God's relationship with us in this world is ongoing and it's one of love and it's one of forgiveness and it's one of presence. He is here with us. He is here active with us. And what he is doing is calling us to be his body in this world. And with the rule of five, you can be a tangible actor of God in this rule world. How many times have you said, what can I possibly do? I'm only one person. You can start undoing the damage of negativity by making sure with every person that you see, starting with your own family and working outward towards strangers, that you Give them positive responses. Start healing the damage that this world has brought. Make sure you don't internalize the damage in your family. Heal your loved ones. Heal your friends. Heal your congregation. Mark the words that you're saying so you know when you're speaking negatively. Overcome them with the five positives. And then spread those positives into a world that so needs God's love. It is truly crying out for it. And you be the body of Christ giving that healing energy to every person you meet. Bear with them as they struggle. Forgive them as they do. And then be the love of Christ. Giving grace to them 
and positive energy. Bring that love in every way that you can to a world screaming in pain. Bring that love of Christ with you. Amen.